Welcome to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. There is a mass of information coming at us from all directions every day. But there are still some people who enjoy sitting down with a hard copy newspaper to read the news, features, and opinion pages at their own pace. Native-run newspapers have a place for delivering information, in part because they often cover local news and events more completely than any other media. We'll talk about the strengths and struggles of Native newspapers coming up right after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. The Yorok Tribe, in collaboration with national and state parks, are releasing two condors Tuesday in Northern California's Redwoods. They'll be the first to take flight in the region since the late 1800s. The effort has been underway by the tribe since 2008. For the tribe, the recovery of the species is part of restoration of the ecosystem and also for the people responsible for taking care of it. The condor plays a principal role in the tribe's creation story and featured in cultural dances. Tribal Wildlife Director Tiana Williams-Clausen, in a video message, shares the importance of the restoration for future generations, including for her young daughter. She's going to grow up having condors in her sky for her entire life. She's not even going to know what it is to miss condors. She will always live in relationship with condors, which is really what this whole program is all about, bringing condor home back into our communities, back into our conversations, um, back into our households and into the minds and hearts of our children on behalf of the hearts of our elders. The condors are voluntarily entering a designated staging area with access to the outside world. If the birds do not enter the transition zone by late afternoon, a second attempt to release the birds will occur Wednesday. The carefully designed release procedure is part of the management plan for the reintroduction. Two more condors will be released at a later date. The New Mexico Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Relatives Task Force is holding an event on Thursday. May 5th is recognized across the country as National Day of Awareness for Missing and Murdered Indigenous People. The group has been meeting virtually due to COVID-19 precautions. Thursday's event will take place in person in Albuquerque. Members of the task force will discuss their response plan for the state. Cabinet Secretary of Indian Affairs Lynn Trujillo talked about the awareness event during a task force meeting in April. To listen um, to our communities to reflect on our work and accomplishments and celebrate that um, and then continue to look forward and think about what's um, next for all of us. The staff has also been working through um, many of our phenomenal partnerships um, uh, one with the second judicial attorney general's office. They have been reaching out and meeting with some of our tribal leadership. Um, the UNO research team, um, the FBI and other community organizations uh, to start working towards um, those solutions that we have laid out in the state response plan. The task force was established in 2019 to address issues involving missing and murdered Indigenous people. Members of the task force have since released findings and recommendations to the state's governor and lawmakers. 
In California Wednesday at the state capitol in Sacramento, tribal leaders, lawmakers, and the State Department of Justice will discuss violence against Native Americans. They'll take part in a press conference and legislative hearing to share what actions are being taken to reduce and solve violence against California Native Americans, particularly women and girls. Assembly members James Ramos, chair of the Assembly Select Committee on Native American Affairs, and Christina Garcia will host the news event in the morning on Capitol Steps. Later in the day, the two lawmakers will chair a joint informational hearing on the issue. The hearing is expected to include testimony from law enforcement, tribal leaders, and advocates. The Navajo Police Department on Monday received Amber Alert toolkits to aid in response when a person goes missing. The Amber Alert and Indian Country Initiative donated seven Amber Alert kits to the Navajo Nation. They include a tablet, headset, webcam, scanner, and camera. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by the Albuquerque Hispano Chamber of Commerce's Convention and Tourism Department, providing complete convention and visitor planning services to Hispanic and Native American conventions. Information on convention and tourism services at ahcnm.org. Support for law and justice-related programming provided by Hobbs, Strauss, Dean & Walker, a national law firm dedicated to promoting and defending tribal rights for nearly 40 years. More information available at HobbsStrauss.com. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. I'm one of those folks who likes to read a newspaper in print. I like the way content is laid out on the page and how I can view articles and features I might not come across reading news online. Like the compelling piece I stumbled on in this morning's paper. It was titled, Scientists Unravel Mysteries of Brushing Tangled Hair. A must read in any long locked native home, don't you think? And maybe it's my generation. But I also feel my comprehension and retention skills are stronger when reading in print as opposed to online. I'm not alone. While newspaper circulation is down, as many as 25 million Americans still read printed newspapers. One reason is that newspapers deliver local news that pertains to their readers. And native-run and tribally-owned newspapers offer perspectives that people might not get anywhere else. Today we're talking about the benefits and drawbacks of native newspapers. We have representatives from papers that are still going strong. At least one of them started almost 200 years ago. And we want to know what you like about your local newspaper. Or if you still read newspapers, why, when there's so much information online, do you still like the newspaper? Join the conversation. The number is 1-800-996-2848. That's 1-800-99-NATIVE. Phone lines are now open. Tyler Thomas is speaking with us today from Tahlequah, Oklahoma, where he is the executive editor for the Cherokee Phoenix. He is a citizen of the Cherokee Nation. Tyler, thank you for coming on Native America Calling today. Thank you, Sean, for having me. Wonderful to have you along with our other guests. Tyler, the Cherokee Phoenix, not just the oldest native-owned newspaper, but also one of the oldest newspapers in the country. When did it first go into print? 
You know, our first issue of the Cherokee Phoenix uh, was published on February 21st, 1828, um, nearly 200 years ago. And then it's been in production off and on ever since. Well, give us some more history. What motivated the Cherokee to start a newspaper nearly two centuries ago? You know, it was during the time of, um, you know, President Jackson was trying to push the forced removal of the Cherokees, and the Cherokees didn't want to leave their homeland. So the um, the newspaper was a tool to showcase the um, how assimilated that that they could become in the European culture or European American culture that was over on, in the East. And also, it was a, used as a tool to uh, advocate their position in their uh, in their stance within society to not only those within their tribe, but it was also a tool to reach those in the Northeast to uh, as an advocacy tool. Uh, and that's one of the major reasons that John, or Principal Chief John Ross at the time, why why he wanted to uh, start the newspaper and had aid in doing that from. Um, the, a missionary group there uh, led by Elias Boudinot. I mean, not Elias Boudinot, I'm sorry. Um, drawing a blank on the name now, I'm sorry. No worries. So there, back in 1828, was it originally published in the Cherokee syllabary? Yes, yeah, so it was published in Cherokee, uh, the syllabary in Cherokee, and then I think it also had some English as well, but um, it was published in both English and Cherokee. Now, Tyler, let's click ahead a couple hundred years. And today, what does the Cherokee Phoenix offer its readers that other papers don't? I mean, it's it's a newspaper that's dedicated solely to Cherokee Nation news and the Cherokee people, as well as Indian country in general. You're not going to get that kind of coverage from mainstream media um, whenever it comes to wanting to know about the current events within your tribe, uh, what things are having an impact on Indian country in general as well as seeing your people and their stories highlighted in the culture and the language um, perpetuated and try to revitalize that with our own efforts. So that's something that you're not going to get from any other publication that only the Cherokee Phoenix can provide. Can you give us some examples of some of these stories that the Cherokee Phoenix covers or some of these topics that you address? Yeah, so we have a population or a citizenship of that surpasses 400,000. So we're one of the largest tribes in the United States. With that comes, I mean, just an innumerable stories. Um, you can't, we, so I'm really proud of our staff and how they're able to find the stories and highlight our people. Um, we have a student spotlight series that highlights high school students and what they're doing to not only succeed academically, but maybe in the arts or um, athletics or stuff like that. And we're also doing stories that highlight our history and our culture and our language. Um, we, we've we covered the uh, Language Preservation Act that Chief Hoskin did and everything that entails with that, whether it be speaker home or homes of uh, or villages for speakers, which are, you know, um, newly constructed homes that are dedicated to first language speakers. We've covered that. We covered the language center, but we also highlight our artists who are also trying to keep those traditions alive and growing. Um, we also, the, some of the major news that we cover that you may not get from mainstream media because they don't necessarily re report from the perspective of your, 
in our case, the Cherokee Nation, is the uh, how the McGirt case has been unfolding since that historic decision came down in 2020. And I'm really proud of our team for their uh, their work on that issue and getting that information out to um, our citizenship. And then in general, with what's gone on in the last two years, just being able to relay information concerning the COVID-19 pandemic and the services that the Cherokee Nation is trying to get to its citizens and be keeping our citizens informed of everything that is available to them, as well as what's happening within the health aspect of it as well. Well, you mentioned um, COVID-19, you mentioned McGirt, you mentioned high school athletes. And it's interesting because earlier this year, we did a show about a, a young man, a high school wrestler, a state champion there in Oklahoma, who was Cherokee, and, and he was featured in the Cherokee Phoenix. So that was really cool to read that article as well as have that individual on our show. Um, Tyler, how often is the Cherokee Phoenix published? So we're a twice a month newspaper. We come out on the usually around the first of the month and somewhere around the 15th of the month. Um, that that changed, I think, a few years ago. Um, we used to be once a month paper, and before that, whenever the Cherokee, Cherokee Phoenix was first revived, they were kind of a quarterly issue um, back in the 70s and 80s, I believe. Now, you've been executive editor for about two and a half years, so this in increased frequency with which the paper is published, are, is that part of, of one of your initiatives there as executive editor? No, that initiative was put into place um, uh, probably about a year before I came on board from the previous editor, Brendan Scott, um, but we've carried it on. We've tried to expand that, and more importantly, during, during my time here, we've tried to expand our digital footprint. Now, Tyler, earlier you mentioned 400,000 citizens of Cherokee Nation. That's a lot of people. And you're also a very widespread tribe and throughout the country and even other parts of the, of the, of the globe, even in Europe and whatnot. So how can those 400,000 people, how can they access the Cherokee Phoenix if they're not right there in the Tahlequah area or in, in Oklahoma? Well, digitally, it's really quite simple, led by some of the initiatives that we've done within the last year. Um, CherokeePhoenix.org, our website, was completely revamped about uh, a little over a year, a little over a year ago. Um, we, we we released the new website, I think, in February of 2021. Um, it's more user-friendly. It's got a better layout, got a better format, allows people to be able to consume that news more easily. In addition to that, we've Try to grow or try to grow our uh, social media footprint as well. Um, where we see increased in our Facebook audience, our Twitter audience, our Instagram audience, our YouTube channel. We've seen growth in that that uh, continues to, um, by the day. And then back about October of last year, we released our mobile app that is compatible to Apple and Android devices, both phone and tablet. And that allows people to download the Cherokee Phoenix mobile app and have that content directly on their phone so that they can get alerts to stories and they can access all of our content directly on their phone. When it comes to the print product, what we've done is through an innovative partnership with the administration of the Cherokee Nation, we 
released a Cherokee Phoenix for or announced the Cherokee Phoenix for All program back in December. And what we did was we were able to leverage um, ARPA dollars from the COVID-19 relief fund. And we were able to use those funds to get a free newspaper to all Cherokee Nation um, households that have at least one Cherokee Nation citizen living in that household. They all are able to re- receive a one-year free subscription. So that allows us to be able to get that out, get our content directly in the hands, the hard copy directly in the hands of our citizens as well. Well, that sounds great, Tyler. And you mentioned all of these innovations with regard to social media, improved website. Do you know about what percentage of your readers are accessing the paper online versus using the old hard copies? Um, It's hard to really say because we send out, um, due to the partnership that we have with the administration, we send out over 160,000 issues to Cherokee homes um, every, or 160,000 papers every issue that is released to Cherokee homes. Um, now our website gets over 100,000 views a month, and then we get our uh, our social media interactions uh, continue to grow in that aspect as well. So. I believe that we're reaching more people by the print copy just by na- the nature of where, how many newspapers that we mail out each um, each issue, but we are having um, some pretty good success in how we are reaching people digitally as well. Well, we are talking with Tyler Thomas of the Cherokee Phoenix newspaper, local sports, community events, classifieds, good stuff in your native owned and operated Gazette. And that's the focus of our show today. So if you have a question or a comment, please give us a call. 1-800-996-2848. Back with more guests right after this break. Everything from handmade regalia to priceless items handed down over generations are treasures that families and tribes rely on. They are also vulnerable to theft, fire, and natural disasters. We'll talk about ways to protect native valuables and learn what goes into putting a monetary value on irreplaceable objects on the next Native America Calling. Mesalands Community College can help you lead the way in your chosen field. At Mesa Lands, where one in three students is Native American, you get hands-on opportunities working one-on-one with instructors in wind energy, where students go up the turbine in their first semester, silversmithing with access to the largest foundry in the Southwest, and blacksmithing in the cowboy arts. Mesa Lands has a national top ten rodeo team, too. Info and applications at mesalands.edu. Mesa Lands Community College supports this program. You're listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We're recognizing the importance of newspapers. What newspaper do you subscribe to and why? How do you get your news? Is it through Facebook or Twitter? Do you want to give a shout out to your native or tribally owned newspaper or your favorite native reporter? Give us a call to share your thoughts. 1-800-996-2848. 1-800-996-2848. Now joining us from Window Rock, Arizona is Dwayne Bial. He's the editor for the Navajo Times. He's Dene. Dwayne, great to have you on the show. Thank you for inviting me. Well, we really appreciate you stepping away from the news desk for a few minutes to join our conversation. Dwayne, you've been with the Navajo Times for a long time, 
prior to being editor, you started out as a reporter in 1980. What drew you to a career in journalism? Well, I've always been a writer. I've always considered myself a writer. I always wanted to write one of those fat books that I saw my mother reading in her bed every day. So I thought, I'm going to write one of those books so my mother can read it. That's how I started becoming a writer. And naturally, that flowed easily into this position. My first job in 1980 at the Navajo Times was as a copy editor. And I started with the Navajo Times way back then. And I have risen through the years to become editor. And I've had a few breaks in between when I went to work for the Navajo government and for Peterson Za, who was chairman, elected chairman. And um, now I've been here since 2017 again. After a five-year retirement, I figured I, I can't retire. I'm st I still have a lot to do. So I came back to work, and I've been here since 2017 as editor of the Navajo Times. Well, Duane, it's certainly been a fascinating journey that you describe. When did the Navajo Times start? In 1959, the Navajo Tribal Council decided to create the Navajo Times as a newsletter because more and more people were moving away from the reservation for education, to serve in the military, or for jobs. And they thought they needed a way to, to know what's going on in Winter Rock back home. So they started this newsletter called the Navajo Times, and that evolved through the years to where we are today. Now, earlier we heard Tyler mention that the Cherokee Phoenix was originally published using the Cherokee syllabary. Was the Navajo Times originally published in Navajo? No, it's always been in English, although there have been times when sections were in Navajo, like a page or a, a story would use all Navajo language, but mostly it was in English. And how often is it published? It's once a week, every Thursday. So it's a weekly paper. Dwayne, people gather so much information online now. They access news websites, social media, and we've seen so many traditional newspapers fold in recent years, and we even hear words like newspapers are dead. Do you think that's true? No, I don't think so. Not for us, anyways. We're still going strong, although we're not at the level of 25,000 circulation, 25,000 a year circulation we used to have when I first uh, when I left to retire in 2012, and uh, that's what our circulation number was was at. It was at 25,000, and right now we're at 11,005. But that 11,005 is holding strong. But uh, we see by our paper sales across the reservation at the different stores where paper is sold at, where there's still strong interests, and there always has been. It looks like we have a role to play, and uh, in this in this part of the country, a lot of people depend on us to tell them what's going on, because although they have all these other other avenues for information, they have access to all kinds of other. In Sources of, sources of information, they depend on us to tell them what's really going on. And that has not changed over the years. Now, I know the Navajo Times is also available online. Are you seeing growth with online readers? Uh, yeah, somewhat. Um, not really that much, but uh, we do have, um, every Thursday we have a big, large group of people who tune in to see what the, we post that day. And then 
through the throughout the week we we update our page with other news from all the pages of the Navajo Times, and um, but mostly we focus on the print edition because that's our lifeblood right there. Now, Duane, as a, a longtime newsman, what do you prefer? How do you prefer to get your news online, or do you prefer print edition newspapers like what you have there at the Navajo Times? Well, when it comes to the Navajo Times, I prefer the print edition. And when I look at one uh, news where I, I read all the time as the Albuquerque Journal, I prefer the print edition. But anything else that's out there in the world, like the New York Times or Washington Post or whatever, I go to my little my little my little smartphone here and tune in on whatever's going on out there and that's what I depend heavily on is my little phone that has been a godsend to all of us journalists and this new technology presents many challenges but it also has many opportunities and many many ways it's made our job a lot easier it certainly has and Dwayne I know that the Navajo Times has broken some big stories over the years. You folks have been first to report on many, many pressing uh, media issues and stories. Can you talk about some of those big stories that the Times has broken over the years? Well, the biggest story we've covered for the past couple of years has been the COVID-19 pandemic and how it, how it impacted the Navajo people very heavily. At one point, we were number one in the nation in terms of infectability and all that. And um, I remember those days. That was only a couple of years ago when all that started in 2020. And that's been taking a lot, lot of time from my staff and a lot of time on our newspaper and a lot of space on the news, our news pages. And... Um, for example, one of our one of my best reporters is Krista Allen, who is now our assistant editor. She comes from the western portion of the Navajo Nation, which is out there in Chanto, Arizona, way on the far west side near the the western border where the Colorado River is. That's where she's from. But uh, when the pandemic first started, she went out into the country and went to the hospitals and went and talk to people, talk to families who had lost people to the disease. And um, and because of her coverage, she won Community Journalist of the Year from the Arizona Press Association and the Arizona Newspapers Association. And she won all kinds of awards for us based on her coverage of the pandemic. So that's the number one story that stands out in my mind right now. Well, congratulations to that great coverage. Um that your reporter as well as the times um, was was on spot on with regard to for a person a Navajo person reading the Navajo Times how does your coverage dish differ with regard to issues and topics as opposed to a non-native publication do you think Dwayne well non-native publications will come zooming in and they'll say this happened here and this happened that and it was terrible and they were all Indians and they and they take off but we stay here we're here this is our home Winderock is where we're based, and we take time to report all the details of the stories. And we say this was so-and-so, this was his clan, this was his mother's clan, his father's clan, and his grandparents' clan. 
those clans are very important to our readers because they help them understand who this person is. And maybe that person might even be related to them. That's just a small example of how we would include information that the mainstream press will never even touch or take a look at. But uh, our land is very large. We have a very large area. To go from one story to another will often take an off a whole day to drive over and back. And so our peop my people, my reporters, and my photographers put a lot of miles on the highway to go from here to there. And that's one thing that I don't see anyone else taking the time to do that and to come back over here and produce the stories they produce every week, the photographs, the beautiful photographs they produce every week, week in and week out. It never stops. I'm very proud of my whole staff. I think Duane, they're how, one of the best. I'm sorry, go ahead, finish. I think they're one of the best. We also have one of the sports, the best sports sections in the whole region, the whole four corner states of where we, of where we, um, where we circulate. I think we have the best sports section anywhere. Duane, how big is your staff? Oh, I have, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six reporters and one photographer, one full-time photographer right now. And we have a, we're looking for another reporter and I'm looking for another photographer. We have someone lined up for those positions, but we have a very small staff. I count six of them right now. Are they all Navajo? Uh, yes, except for one. Yeah, all Navajo except for one. Do you think having a Navajo staff like there makes a big difference with regard to how you cover these issues? Could you do it without so many Native staff on board? Oh, of course. That makes a big difference because for every Navajo who's on staff, they this is their home. This is their own people. This is their family, their relatives. And this is their leaders, their government that they're writing about. And this is the outside world, which is still inflicting damage upon us for whatever mistaken reasons they have. And only we who live on the ground, who live on the earth here, understand all that and can write from those perspectives and tell the people what's going on around them. Now, Duane, we talked earlier about the threat of online newspapers, social media, but that's not the only Thing that's kind of disrupting the newspaper industry. We're also hearing stories of big private equity firms that are buying newspapers, they're gutting staff and resources, they're buying people out. Have those kinds of firms ever been a concern for you there at the Navajo Times? Nope. Nope. Because uh, we're, we're the property of the Navajo people. The Navajo people own the Navajo Times. Now, for many, for for since 1959, when the paper was first created, the Navajo Times was a department of the Navajo Nation government. We were an office of the government, and that's how it's been until around 2003, when Tom Arviso Jr., our current CEO and publisher, persuaded the Navajo Nation Council to approve a change in our operation, which separated us from the Navajo government, but still kept as our shareholders, our major shareholders are the Navajo people. So we're, we're truly owned by the Navajo people. 
And they're the ones who call the shots. They're the ones we serve. They're the ones who we work for every day. And uh, because of that relationship, I think anytime you, you hear all these horror stories of major corporations buying up newspapers and shutting them down or whatever, well, we never worried about that because we belong to the Navajo people. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that separation from the Navajo government that occurred a number of years ago, because we're going to talk more about that on the show today, because there are a number of, of tribal newspapers that are owned and operated specifically by the tribe, and then some have more independence. Um, they're native-owned, but not necessarily tribally owned. So what prompted that split, that separation away from Navajo tribal government uh, into more independence for the Navajo Times? Well, back in 2003, when the council approved it, Tom was thinking that, and all of us had thought up to that point, that although the leaders had promised not to interfere in the Navajo Times coverage, they always did, especially during election time. During election time, that we would see all kinds of crazy things happening, like editors would be suspended or fired or whatever, and and bosses would come down and demand we report a story this way or that way, like my, me, myself. I was an editor back in the early 80s when Peter McDonald was chairman, and he ordered us to report that more than 1,000 people had attended his announcement rally for chairman when my people who were on the scene counted at the most 700. And uh, so... and. Uh, I proceeded to to write a column about their attempt to manipulate and distort the news. And the very next day, I was placed on I was placed on suspension. And then it became a big story in the local press, like the Gallup Independent, uh, Bordertown newspaper. And uh, and then one day they reversed their decision. I was back in my position again. So that's just one small example of, of what had been going on through all these years. And we had all seen it. And like uh, Bill Donovan, who's one of our longest serving reporters, who's Anglo, he's kind of retired now, but he he had been fired at least three or four times, he says, as he was <laughs> telling me about his history of serving. <laughs> he, he came here in the early 70s and and became editor for a short time, and he was fired three or four times, he says, by all these oh, different geez. people, whether it was Nakai, McDonald, or whoever. But uh, <laughs> on the other hand, but when you take a step back from all that, you see that there's just a fundamental, it's just fundamentally wrong for a newspaper to be an office of the government, to have uh -huh. our checks printed by the government, our checks, our paychecks printed by the government, there has to be a separation. And that's what Tom aimed at with his resolution that he presented to the Navajo Nation Council. And uh, that we should truly be separate from the government, but still protected or under the rainbow of sovereignty. They call, they call that the rainbow of sovereignty. We're still underneath that. But our owners are the Navajo people. And we're no longer people. a part of the, we're no longer a part of the Navajo government. Our checks are signed by Tom Arviso, not by the chairman or president or the council. And every time every time a possibility comes up for funding from the Navajo government, Tom says no. I won't ever take any money from you guys 
because you always use that against us. Mm-hmm. You always have okay. used that against us. Whenever we give you money, you, you point that out and you try to get your way with our news coverage or whatever controversies on our pages at the time. They try to control us, but now they can't. Now they can't touch us. Only the people can touch us. Okay. Well, Dwayne, thank you so much for that background. And boy, it sounds like you've really rolled with the punches over the years in your career there at the Navajo Times and and as a news person. So really applaud um, just everything that you've been through. And you mentioned Bill Donovan, and I remember Bill Donovan from the Gallup Independent back in the day. So wonderful history, wonderful overview of the Navajo Times and some of the issues there on the Navajo Nation with regard to the media. Uh, we're going to have to take a break here, but we've got some callers on the line and we have another guest. We're just getting started here. We've got a great show here for you folks. If you got a question, please give us a holler. 1-800-996-2848. We're going to be back after another short break. Program support by Amerind. For 35 years, Indian Country has put its trust in Amerind, providing insurance coverage, strengthening Native American communities, protecting tribal sovereignty, and keeping dollars in Indian Country are Amerind's priorities. More information on property, liability, workers' compensation, and commercial auto needs at Amerind.com. That's A M E R I N D.com. Thank you for tuning in to Native America Calling today. I'm Sean Spruce. Still time to get in on our discussion about Native newspapers. Do you think newspapers are important? What have been your favorite news stories to come out recently? Join the conversation, 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. Let's go to the phones now, in fact. Listening on KUYI, we have Romalita. Thank you so much for calling. You're on the air. Hi, good morning, and thank you for taking my call. Yes, this is Romalita Laban. I currently serve as the managing editor for the Hopi Divini, and in the past have also served as a volunteer DJ for our local Hopi radio station, KUII. Um, I also wanted to um, give a shout-out to uh, our staff member, Carl Anse. Uh, we currently only have two staff members that serve the Hopi Sisuvini, uh, and we put out 2,500 publications uh, two times a month. We uh, put a paper out on the first Wednesday, <clears throat> excuse me, and the third Wednesday of the month here in the local Hopi communities, as well as uh, two distribution sites in Flagstaff and uh, in all of the villages. So, you know, we're small, very small in comparison to the Cherokee newspaper. But uh, we are still hanging in there, and uh, it's interesting to hear the stories even about the Navajo uh, Times newspaper. Uh, But uh, I wanted to make sure I put a shout-out to my assistant editor, Carl Anse, who helped me with doing the placements. He he does the photography. He uh, has his own little column that uh, he puts out uh, in, in both of the two publications that we do on a monthly basis. I also wanted to put a shout-out to another local newsletter-type paper, 
Uh, it's called the uh, First Mesa Consolidated Villages Village Crier. Uh, lately, um, they have come out, and um, you know it's really good to have another source in our Hopi community. Um, we face challenges uh, like other newspapers as well. Uh, we don't have connections to um, Hopi Tribal Council meetings through their Zoom meetings, so sometimes we can't even cover some of what is uh, being addressed at the Tribal Council level. However, in the village crier, uh, we have that comes from one of the local villages. And there are four representatives from uh, that particular uh, area, and they represent the people in First Mesa Consolidated Villages, and they put out reports in that local crier. So it's good to have that, um, you know, being provided, and mm-hmm. um, because sometimes we, we aren't even allowed in the executive sessions, of course, because it's executive session. But I wanted to uh, also make note that we have uh, another paper that's helping, you know, to make sure that uh, our people Absolutely. get information. Absolutely. Romalita LeBain, thank you so much for calling in and sharing that information and, and, and giving us some details for how uh, events and issues are covered there at Hopi. Really helpful for our listeners. We have another caller on the line, John, listening on KUNM in Albuquerque. John, you're on the air. Hello, John, are you there? Maybe we lost John. Not quite sure. At any rate, I'd like to now introduce our third guest, Lori Ann Edmo who is talking with us today from Fort Hall, Idaho, where she is the editor for the Showband News. She is Shoshone Bannock. Lorianne, you've been on NAC before. Welcome back. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I want to thank you for taking time out of your busy day as well. Lorianne, the Showband News, when did it get its start? It started in 1970 when my older sister, Lorraine, uh, published it as a monthly newspaper. And it was in existence for about a year, and then it uh, discontinued for a while until 1976 when Mark Trahant started it back up as a bi-weekly, and then eventually a weekly, and now we're a weekly since then. And how long have you been the editor? More than 25 years. Wow. So quarter of a century there at the Showband News. Lorianne, why do you think that print newspapers are still important? Well, for us here on our reservation, it's because a lot of our tribal elders and a lot of community people still read a print newspaper because of the fact that they may not have internet connections or have access to smartphones. Now, what do you think are some of the challenges that you come across running a newsroom there that serves the Shoshone Bannock community? Mm, We've had many. (laughs) We've had a gag order put on us previously, and I've been fired twice, and thankfully I got my job back. But I think a lot of it is just we cover a lot of different news, and it's important to cover our tribal community and and our tribal government and what's happening, and I think we just believe people have a right to know what's going on. Now, Lorianne, we, we heard Duane mention some of those same challenges with regard to editorial control, and uh, the Showband News is owned by the Shoshone Bannock tribe. So can it be difficult maintaining editorial control in that situation at times? 
Not necessarily, because we just go by what's in our tribal constitution, and it says that we have civil liberties, and that's what we go by. So, you know, that's what I firmly believe in, and along with our staff. And that includes freedom of freedom of their press. And Lorian, what do you think are the greatest opportunities for tribally owned newspapers like the Showband News? Well, what do you mean by opportunities? Just what do you what do you what do you think the future holds for you, and where where could you make a, a big difference going forward and continuing to to serve Native communities in the way that you do? How can that be expanded and improved upon in the future? Well, I think there's always more that we can do, but we're kind of limited with the amount of staff who actually, you know, does the reporting and the photography. One thing that I've done is made sure that every staff member in our staff has a camera so we can all have the opportunity to to cover stories if we need to and shoot photos because uh, we have uh, some Nikon cameras that are able to have Bluetooth in them so we can transfer our photos immediately to our smartphones so we can be able to post them. And so that makes a difference for our Facebook page. And how large is your staff, Lorianne? We have seven staff members. And we have and three are they that all... actually do the reporting and things. And are they all Shoshone Bannock tribal members? Yes, we all are. Now, 25 years you've been there at the paper, and you mentioned you know, some Bluetooth technology and things like that. What are some other changes and evolutions that you've seen, not only there at the Showband News, but just overall in terms of how newspapers disseminate their information throughout your career? Well, for us, um, our printer is 90 miles away. So all of our pages are uploaded to an FTP site that goes to our printer, and then uh, they're transported to the, a nearby town in Pocatello where we pick them up and then we do our delivery, our newspaper delivery. So that's something that's really changed. And, and uh, you know, when there may be times there's difficulty with our Internet connection, then that can be a challenge if we can't upload our PDFs of our pages. So, you know, that's been a big change. And then, you know, with the changes of technology and and how we cover things and we do shoot a lot of photographs and we post them to our Facebook site and our website and along with videos that we produce so that's been a lot different for our staff and we've had to learn a lot of techniques and different apps that we can utilize to get that done. Now you also have an online version of the show band news right? No we don't we had to cease for a couple of years or about three or four years because our budget got cut so we had we couldn't afford it anymore so we're trying to re re up it and get it established again. Lorianne, what what got you into journalism? Um, Mark Trahant. I was going to college and I decided to take a break so I wasn't doing much and he talked me into being a reporter for the newspapers so I went for it and Ever since then, that was back in the 80s, and I went. I decided that's what I was going to do for my career, and so that's how I started. And what was your first job at the newspaper? A reporter, and one of the first stories I covered was a first-ever tribe's buffalo sale, and it was in the middle of winter with 
10-foot uh, snow drifts going down to where there are buffalo corrals were, so that was really challenging and interesting. Now, being a reporter versus being an editor, um, it, it seems like it would be similar in many ways, but different. Can you describe a little bit about, about what, what the workday is like for a reporter as opposed to an editor? Well, for a reporter, it's, you know, just getting the stories together and getting ready to be edited and getting prepping your photos for it. But with an editor, I have to be responsible for all of our administrative aspects of the newspaper, too. So I keep track of all of our revenues and our advertising and our printing. And I also write stories and I shoot photographs. So I have a big responsibility. Now, is the show band news, is it profitable on its own? Does it sell enough subscriptions to, to make a profit? No, we don't. And so it makes a difference for us to be subsidized by the tribe. But in our view, you know, we, we are owned by our tribal people. And so that's how we approach it. Loria, what advice would you have for other Native people that are interested in journalism careers? That it's a great job. I mean, our storytelling is part of our culture. So it's really ingrained in us. And it's really important to tell the stories, especially about our tribal elders and our artists and our, our everyone in general, because, you know, you really have to have a love for your tribal people to do this work. And, and we do. Our whole staff really enjoys their work. And we've done a, a number of special publications that are color magazines that, about our people, especially when we acknowledge the 140th, 40th anniversary of our treaty and then again the 150th. And so we did stories about that. And now this year, the 150th anniversary of Yellowstone's establish is happening, and that's one of our Aboriginal homelands, so we're going to be doing stories about that. Now, going back to where it all started back in 1970, uh, how has the show band news evolved in recently in order to keep up with the changing tastes of your readers? Well, I think a big thing is just learning the new technologies and, and finding that the apps that can help us in doing our work for our Facebook page and our website and creating videos and also um, coming up with watermarks for our photos and, and for the videos too. So it's we're always learning because the technology changes so fast. And so that's what's really important to make sure we're apprised on all of the latest technology so we can be able to keep up with it and improve what we do, improve our work. And what do you think the value of a Native-owned newspaper like the Showband News, what do you think that value is? I think the value is that we know our people the best. You know, we can tell those stories and, you know, we know, you know, the different families and we know about our culture and our traditions. And, and that really makes a difference because you know, we we come from a number of different areas, our tribal people, and so we go back to our original home na homelands throughout this, the year because we have cultural events that are scheduled. So we go and cover all of those, and so it really helps to know our history and the oral history that's been handed down through from one generation to the next. And so we want our young people to know that so they can learn about it and 
you know, know who they are. And we're always told by our elders, you have to know who you are and where you come from to have your identity. And, and then also with learning your language. So learning your, are, are you able to incorporate language into the paper as well? Native language? Yes, we do. Um, when we do our photo pages, then we use our our native language, and then also in in different publications. And we don't actually have a page for language, but we do utilize in some of our posters and our publications when we do our special magazines. And what's been the feedback from readers with regard to some of those innovations you describe? They enjoy it, especially particularly on our on our Facebook. Page. At one point last year, we were reaching over 3 million people throughout the world, and that was pretty amazing. And we get messages from all different cultures of people, and and it's pretty interesting to see what they have to say. And and it's just, you know, they're, we're educating people, really. Well, that's amazing. You mentioned 3 million followers on Facebook and the actual show band newspaper. What is the circulation of that paper? We're small. We're nothing near what the Navajo Times or Cherokee Phoenix are. We're like 1,200 or, you know, we print 1,200 newspapers every week, but uh, what we, we sell the majority of them and we have subscribers throughout the country. So, you know, we reach quite a few people, even though we're small. Well, it sounds like you do, and I really want to thank you and all of our guests for coming on the show today and sharing some of your history, some of your work experiences, some of the, the trials and tribulations that you've been through as editors of tribal and native-owned newspapers. And unfortunately, we do have to wrap up our, our show today. So again, big thanks to Tyler Thomas, Dwayne Bial, and Lorianne Edmo for an enlightening conversation on tribal and native-owned newspapers and those hardworking folks who keep those presses rolling. Tomorrow, we're back live with another engaging, timely conversation. We'll be talking about safeguarding precious and even priceless native regalia and sacred objects. How do you protect your regalia or cultural items both at home and when you travel? Tune in tomorrow. Until then, I'm Sean Spruce. Thank you for listening to Native America Calling. Support by Indigenous Pact, a healthcare consulting company working to create health equity in Indian country. Indigenous Pact offers solutions to fit the needs of your tribe. Their team, experts in healthcare strategy, policy, and innovation, provides a one of a kind plan to solve the issues specific to your community. Indigenous Pact works to create three primary outcomes healing spaces, healthy citizens, and sustainable economies. More information at indigenouspact.com.
CMS program contact local Indian health care provider Center for Medicare and Medicaid Service Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kwanak Broadcast Corporation a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davids. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.